Hi there. How you doing? Great to see you. Hey, I, I do want to ask you a question. Do we have any iPhone users here in, in the house? Okay, several iPhone users. Really only two types of people, those who have, have iPhones and those who wish they had iPhones, by the way. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm a big Apple fan. I made the switch several years ago from uh, a PC to an Apple, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago. I forget how long it was. But um, now I, I, own, I, have a, uh, I have a Mac, I have an iPod, and, uh, an iPhone. Uh, this message is brought to you by iPad. Um, and uh, so, um, so, but I made the switch, and it's been a great thing. I made the switch, one, because these computers actually work, and two, because it's God's will. And, um, but, you know, uh, you know, here's the funny thing, though, is that I, <clears throat> I bought the first uh, iPhone when it came out. And, um, well, not when it first came out, because it was, like, really overpriced, and they dropped the price. That's when I bought mine. And, um, and I loved it. I loved the original iPhone until the 3G iPhone came out because it had all these extra features that I, I, I needed. And then, um, so what I did was I sold my original iPhone to an unsuspecting victim and uh, took the money from that and then bought myself the 3G uh, iPhone. And then I was really happy with it until I saw the 3GS iPhone. And, uh, you know, it was really weird. It's, just, it's amazing what an S can do in your life. But... Um, it had all the, you know, shot video. It had these, all these extra features. And, and I actually held off on buying that one because I thought, like, they're going to do something bigger, I, I feel like. And then I saw, I, this week, I, I saw the announcement for the, for the 4G iPhone, um, which I'm really excited about uh, because there's all these features that I've convinced myself that I really need to be able to live in this world. Um, and, and here's the thing that, that's weird about this, just, you know, it, just how life is, right? It, this is the odd part, is that um, I was, like, totally happy with my phone. Until I saw the next model. And then, like, this week, I'm, you know, I'm at lunch, and uh, someone sees my phone, and I guess they're thinking about going from the phone they have to an iPhone. And they're like, hey, how do you like your phone? And I'm like, eh, whatever, it's a piece of junk. And uh, they're like, why is that? I'm like, yeah, it's not the new one. The new one is really awesome, but this is like, you know, it's a dinosaur. And because uh, and this, this is just so weird, right? Because once there's a new one, we want that one, and we're not really happy with the one that, that we currently have. And... Um, like, when I first got my iPhone, the very first iPhone, I wouldn't let anybody even touch it. I mean, I was, like, even not even that okay with people looking at it. But, I mean, it was like, I wouldn't even let people touch it. Um, the other day, I, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch. This is, I, I get home from the office, and uh, I'm watching the Sox uh, on TV. With Both of my kids are there, and we're on the couch and, and playing. My son, who's almost 11 months, picks up my iPhone and starts chewing on it. And I'm like, eh, whatever. And... Uh, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing, right? I went from, you can't even touch it, you know, I mean, I was like MC Hammer, you can't touch this, to uh, all the way to like, you know, feel free to chew this, you know, it's okay. And um, I think all of us have experienced that to some degree, just maybe with something, some other thing, but we've all experienced it. Uh, we, we, you know, maybe you've had this experience, you buy a new car, you drive off the lot, and you go, man, this is the car I've always wanted, this is an awesome car, and I am going to wash this car Every week, I mean, I'm going to change the oil every 2,500 miles. I'm even going to wait to 3,000 miles. I mean, I'm going to take care of this car. A couple months go by, and you've washed the car, you know, every week for two weeks. And, uh, and, then, and then what happens is, is that, you know, you see the new model of your car, and you find out that it has all these extra features that your car doesn't have, and then you're like, well, I'm going to wash this piece of junk. And then... You know, and, and so you went from, I'm going to wash this thing every week when, when you first drove off the lot, and now your kids have written, wash me, on the trunk in the inch of dirt that's there. And, uh, and, and it's the oddest thing, and it's like, 
something, us seeing something else that we wanted began to create a dissatisfaction with what we had currently. And it's just this, this odd thing that, that, that happens with us. But, I mean, we do this with cars and computers. We do this with companions and careers. We do this with houses and horses and accounts and amounts and all of this stuff. And we say, well, what is it? It really comes down to one word. It's called coveting. That we just desire what someone else has. Or we desire something else that, that someone else has. And what it does is that it creates discontent in what it is that, that we have. And, and what it is is this constant need for more. And here's the thing that's so insidious about the need for more is that it's never enough because once you have more, you know what you find out? There's always a little more to have. Once you get the next model, pretty soon there's another model to get. And next thing you know, you start getting on the treadmill of more and more and more. And then, and here's, and then you find out later on that you're enslaved to this. And you know what the craziest part about all of it is, is that the person who's just who gets has, wants more and then gets more. And then they want more again, and then they get more again. And then this whole thing, like you think, well, they're probably happy once they get more. You know what they find? They're not happy when they get more. They're actually um, like a little bit disappointed because if you ever coveted something and really wanted it and then gotten it, you know what you felt? The emotion that you didn't think you were going to feel was a letdown. It was like, oh, I thought it was actually going to be better than this. And that's why you started looking for, asking for, and wanting something else. And it creates this miserable, endless cycle of unfulfilled desire. And that's why God gave us the Tenth Commandment. You see, the Tenth Commandment is different than all of the other nine. And by the way, can I ask this? How many of you have been with us from the start of this series, Ten Words? Look at that. That's amazing to me. Congratulations. You've made it. We, we covered one a week. I mean, I, I couldn't go any slower. All right? One a week. So that's 11 weeks. So that, that's an amazing thing. I mean, you guys... You've got these ten down now. Um, but here's the thing, and this is why it's so important, is that these, this tenth commandment stands unique from, from the other nine. Because all of the other nine have an external component. That is, that you can look to see if someone is doing it or not doing it. And, uh, but, you know, you can just look. Is someone doing this commandment or breaking it? You can look by someone's actions to see if they're worshiping another god or not. You can look by someone, you know, you know, Bible says not to steal. If somebody steals, do you own it or not? You know, there's just there's an external component to it. You know, the, uh, are you observing the Sabbath or not? Are you lying or not? You know, we can we, there, there's this external thing. Don't commit adultery. I'm pretty sure there's an external thing with that. And so there, there's all of that. But you can just look to see if someone is doing it or not. Coveting is totally different. It's not a sin of externality, but it's a sin that's internal. It's something that nobody else could know if you're really coveting or not. Nobody else can see inside of you, inside of your heart and your spirit to know if you're coveting or not. It's something that only you can know, something that only God can know. That's what makes this commandment, I believe, so, so unique and so fascinating to me, is that coveting is an internal sin. It's an internal problem, even though it does create external situations for us to deal with. You see, because we might not think that coveting is a big deal, because here's what we think. And this is, and I, I would agree, because everybody wants things. And there's actually nothing wrong with wanting something. But see, coveting is different than wanting something. When you covet something, it consumes you. When you covet something, all you can think about is that thing or that person. To where you can't think of anything else, you can't do anything else. Everything is about getting what you want because it does and it doesn't matter who you have to hurt, who you have to run over, who you have to lie to, who you have to steal from. The thing that you want is the thing that you want because you're coveting it and it's controlling you. And that's why God gave us the 10th commandment, because God wants us to be free. 
And the Tenth Commandment is like this. It's in the notes that we gave you. I hope you have that, the pen and your Bible. So we're going to need all three. But here's, here's what the Tenth Commandment says in Exodus chapter 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, here's the thing that I want to do by way of introduction that I think um, will give us a little bit of the scope as to what coveting does in your life and in mine when we allow it to kind of permeate um, in, in, in our lives. It's, it, what coveting does is that it begins to turn us into a different person. It begins to turn us into a person that we don't want to become. In fact, I'm going to give you three things in particular that coveting turns us into. Number one is this in your notes, is that coveting makes us ungrateful. Coveting makes us ungrateful. Uh, Jesus would say this. He would say, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. When you and I are coveting something, we become ungrateful for what we already have because we're obsessed with that other thing. Uh, years ago, most, most of you know that I was in a band, um, but uh, years ago, when I was, back when I was in a band, um, the, our guitar player uh, in a band who now is like a millionaire rock star or whatever, but, you know, whatever. I'm not bitter. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, we were at our drummer's house, and so we're, the three of us were hanging out um, and uh, he, the guitar player, is really, really hungry. He's like, I'm starving. I need something to eat. So he starts looking through our drummer's cupboards, and he finds this can of baked beans, like one of those family-sized cans of baked beans that are so big you can fit a small child inside. Um, and, and so he says, can I have this? And he says, well, yeah, but you just got to promise to eat the whole thing, family size. And he says, oh, I'll, I'll eat it. He gets a can open, opens it up, starts eating it straight out of the can. No microwave, no nothing, just straight out of the can. It was a sight to behold for sure. And um, anyway, so he decides to, to eat the whole thing. Well, here's the weird part is that as he's taking the last bite of, of baked beans, which he didn't really want, but he was just so hungry. And then he's like, oh, thanks. I'm so hungry. So he's eating it. As he takes the last bite of baked beans, um, the door opens and the other guys, I mean, like at the, that moment, the door opens and the other guys in our band show up with these two huge pizzas from this pizza place that we used to order from all the time. And it was like, and, um, you know, I wanted to, like, what does ungratefulness look like? When I saw his face, that's what it looks like. And, uh, and I mean, and he looked at me like, how did you let me eat these? Looked at our drummer like, why do you even have these in your home? You know, and it was like this, this total frustration, you know, and, and he's, he's thinking like, I wasted my appetite on baked beans when I could be eating this amazing pizza. And uh, anyway, um, and, you know, it's like he didn't even say thank you because he was just so mad. He said some other words that I can't repeat in church. And, um, and he's so upset. And you know the weird part? There's another part of the story that I won't tell you, but it does involve vomiting and then him eating pizza later. But I'm going to skip that part because um, it's too close to lunch for me to tell you that part. Um, but I'm guessing you can probably piece together what happened after that. But, here, but that's the thing that coveting does. Coveting just makes us ungrateful for what it is that we have because we so desire something else. The other thing that coveting does, number two, is coveting makes you unwise. It makes you ungrateful and it makes you unwise. Do you know who wants us to covet? I mean, can we be honest? You know who wants us to covet? People that sell stuff. Right? Nothing wrong with selling stuff. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fine profession. But let's be honest. The, 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 like you, if you're in sales, you love it when someone starts coveting. If, you're, if you sell cars and someone walks on the lot... And they say, I've just got to have this car. I love this car. I dream about driving this car. I mean, you just think like, thank you, Lord, for this person. And um, because, you know, the, the odd thing is this, is that have you noticed this? Like 
because the, the, the whole thing is kind of to get you to, to, to really want the vehicle. Uh, that's why, if, if you've never noticed, when you say, hey, I want to test drive this car, they say, well, let's pick out the color that you want. Like, don't all these cars drive exactly the same? Do they, does the color really matter? But what are they trying? They're trying to attach you to the car somehow. So you pick the color that you want, and then you adjust it just the way you want, and then you drive down the street, you know, and you got the new car, and then you're thinking, like, man, this car drives so much better than the piece of junk I drove on this lot with, and it's so nice. And then what happens is once you get back, and the guy says, so what does it take to get you in this car? And then he starts, you know, and now it's like you want it so bad you can't even make a good decision. So he says, listen, we can do this at 19% interest over 72 months, and you're like, let's do this, right? This is awesome. You know, that's, that's a good deal. That's it, 19% for 72 months. Let's do it. And I'm telling you, that's what coveting does is that it makes us unwise, Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 28. It says, A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor. But he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. You see, covetousness makes us unwise. It makes us ungrateful. But maybe the most important one, number three, is that it makes us unspiritual. It makes us unspiritual. Um, In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes this, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Isn't it amazing that the, the, the writer of the psalm looks at, um, he looks at the, these, it's almost like a path. There's the path of the commandments, the path of righteousness, the path of delighting in God's commandments, delighting in God and his testimonies. And then there's this other road, the road of covetousness. So it's like, incline my ear to that path and not to the path of, of coveting. Why? Because what coveting does is that it focuses you and me on the earthly and pushes out the spiritual. It doesn't allow me to be thankful for all that God has already done in my life, but instead, coveting by nature creates a discontent in what it is that God has given to us, and it creates then a desire for more. So here's the thing, and this is a thing that I think is really important for us, and that is, what's the opposite of coveting? It's this, one word, contentment. The opposite of coveting is contentment. Contentment is simply this, gratitude for what God has already done and peace in the present. And here's what some think, and, and let, me, um, uh, let me just say this by way of a caveat before we move on, and I think this is really important, and that is that some think that true spirituality is not wanting anything. That's wrong. Um, in fact, that's not even Christianity. The elimination of desire is not Christianity, it's Buddhism. Uh, that's one of the tenets of Buddhism, is the elimination of desire. The Bible teaches something very, very different. The Bible teaches, that des- teaches us that desire is good. That desire is actually a great motivator in our lives that God can use if it's motivated and channeled through a place of contentment. If I'm content and grateful for what God has done, there can be desire that pushes me to become the person that God ultimately wants me to be. But see, if... It's not channeled, if desire is not channeled through contentment, if desire is channeled through covetousness, it will be absolutely destructive in my life. Because I can have dreams and aspirations and all of those things, and if I am content and thankful for what God has done, it will propel you and propel me, propel us to places that we never dreamed. But if I, if I have desire and I'm coveting, listen, it will take me to depths that I've never seen as well. And that's the thing that's so important. Listen, if, if you aren't content, you and I will never be grateful. We'll never be grateful for what God has done because it will never be enough. 
And that is just the bottomless pit of covetousness. It's never, ever enough. So instead of spending all of our time talking about like how really, really bad coveting is, I thought instead of spending that, why don't we take part of the time and talk about coveting and define what it is and what it does to us, but then take the rest of our time and talk about how to learn contentment, how to build contentment into our lives, because that is what I believe is the more constructive thing, the more beneficial thing that we can do with the time that remains. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. And in the book of Philippians chapter 4, the thing you have to understand about Philippians is that Paul is writing this, and he's writing this from prison. Um, Technically, in our terms, it would be house arrest. Uh, But Paul is under guard 24 hours a day, and he writes the book of Philippians, which is an epistle about joy, about how to have joy in any circumstance. And then he gets to the end of the book in in, in Philippians chapter 4, and here's what he says in verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the three things that I want to share with you and teach you this morning about contentment. Number one, if you're taking notes, is number one, understand that contentment is learned. That contentment is learned. Listen, contentment is not something that comes naturally. There are many things in life, many attributes that God wants to build into your life and in mine that are not natural to us. Uh, Let me explain it this way. Um, I moved out of my house, uh, my mom and my younger sister's house, uh, when I started college. And it changed me, and in many ways it changed me for the good. Um, You know, uh, I learned how to use a washing machine for the first time. I'd never touched a washing machine until I moved out on my own. I learned how to use a dishwasher. I learned how to wash a dish. Um, but I learned how to clean up after myself and, you know, use a vacuum cleaner. My wife is excited about those things. She lets me put those skills to use every once in a while. And, um, but, but here's the thing, is that uh, one of the things that it did, and I didn't realize this, is that I never thought that um, living uh, with a buddy of mine, we were both starting college, and so um, we got this place, and so we are going to school, and uh, I never thought that it would bring out the selfishness in me that it brought out. I never thought, I never even expected that. Um, and here's what happened, is that um, my roommate never bought food uh, for whatever reason. And um, so every time I went to the grocery store, which, you know, I did every week, and so I'd go to the grocery store and buy groceries, and he'd open the fridge, and it was like Christmas morning for him every, every, every morning. You know, he's like, whoa, this is amazing. And by the way, this guy could eat with the best of them. I mean, I've thought about signing him up for like the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest because I think he could give that Japanese guy a run for his money. Anyway, um, so I remember one day I, I, I went to, I had gotten home from I went to school, went to work, and then I got home, and I actually stopped at Publix. I bought some stuff, and then I, I put it all away, um, watched some TV, and then I went to sleep. And uh, I woke up in the morning, and I was so excited because I bought myself a, a box of cereal. By the way, the greatest cereal ever made, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Thank you very much. Testify. Anyway, so... Um, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so what happens is I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited because I'm going to eat a box of cinnamon toast crunch. Well, I, I didn't have school that day, so I woke up a little late. I get up and I look in our trash can and there's an empty box of cinnamon toast crunch. This guy, from the time I went to sleep to the time I woke up, had put away an entire box of cinnamon toast crunch. The first thing I thought was, 
you know, I mean, there's got to be some kind of group to help this guy with this. The second thing I thought was I'm going to kill him and stuff him in the box and then he'll no one will ever see him again. And then um, and I'm telling you that th- this stuff went on and I got I used to get so mad. And I said, you know what, I- I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And this is what I did. This is a true, true story. And I rarely ever talk about it because it's just so terrible. Um, and here's what I did. I stopped putting the food in the kitchen and I started putting all my food in my closet. Uh, now, I still put like the cold stuff, you know, like cheese and milk and all that. That went in the closet. But even like sodas, whatever, everything went in my closet. And uh, so when I wanted to eat something, if, if he was if he was if he wasn't there, then I'd go bring it all out, bring it out. Some, what I want to eat out into the kitchen. But if he was there, I would come out and just very nonchalantly go into I'd get myself a bowl and pour myself some milk and get myself a spoon. And then I would just walk into my into, into my room. And then I would close the door, go into my closet, put, pour myself some cereal, and just eat food inside my closet. It was like a little pantry slash clothing closet that I had. And I ate every meal inside a closet for months. And it's not like, oh, he did that once or twice. No, no, no. I'm talking about like a semester. I did that every meal. And then the kid was like, wow, this Bob doesn't really eat anymore. What happened to him? You know, and he's like... And then he'd, I'd come out and he'd be like, hey, you want to order something? I'm like, oh, me, I'm stuffed. And he'd be like, well, what, didn't you, how'd you eat? And I'm like, oh, you know, just look laying around. And, uh, and, and, and this is a, the weird part is, is that, um, and I did this for, for quite a while until one day an, another friend of ours, uh, who's a real good friend of mine, still to this day is a great friend of mine, uh, came over to our, our apartment. And um, I think he wanted to borrow a shirt or something that I had. So I said, I'll oh, just go in my closet and get it. And he opened it up and it was like, it's like Publix in here. You know, what is this? And, uh, and, and, and I told him the whole story. And I'm like, you know, this kid, he eats all my food and he's just inconsiderate and he's ungrateful. And I went to this whole thing and I'm like, so this is my solution. I just eat in my closet now. And he said, and he looks at me and he's like, that's the solution? And I mean, you know, I'm like 20 years old, 21, you know, I mean, so this happened like five years ago. Uh, and... <laughs> And he says, and he says, he says, Bob, you know, can you look at yourself? You're eating three times a day inside your closet. You have a little chair that you eat, you sit down in now to make it more comfortable for you. You've talked to me about moving your television in there. Do you see the problem? And I'm like, and, and, and I, I'm telling you, this is the, this is the line I said. And like now you look back and you're like, is, am I out of my mind? But this is the line that I said because I had like all my treats, everything in there. And I said, but you don't understand. I can't let these donuts fall into the wrong hands. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, listen, and, and, you know, and he's like, Bob, I mean, and he's like, you know, Jesus saved you. Do you think he saved you for this? Closet smacker. Is that what he saved you for? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't let this go, you know, and, 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 and I mean, we had him and I had a long talk that day. And, uh, and, <laughs> you know, the, the saddest part of me is that it's true. Uh, it's like it'd be one. I, I wouldn't feel so bad if I made the story up, uh, but it's true. And, and you know, and, and that's when I realized when I saw it from his perspective, that's when I realized what selfishness and greed was doing to me. And you know what happened to me? I realized, like, I, I like, who am I becoming? Like, this is, this is changing me in a way that I don't want it to change me. 
And, and I'm telling you, what happened after that day, and this is, this is like the amazing part of it, is that after that day, I, started, I moved everything out. I, I, I moved everything in my closet back to the kitchen. Which this, my roommate was like, whoa, was like, you know, what happened here? You know, and uh, I mean, it was, it was amazing. Like, and uh, so he thought all this had happened, right? And then, um, but what I started doing, I still was going to Publix, and I started buying stuff that he liked. And then here's what happened is that this is the part that, that um, my anger and yelling at him and all this could never create in him was when I started doing these nice things for him, here's what happened, is that he started realizing, like, you know, I think I'm eating all of Bob's food. And he's buying stuff that, that I like. You know, maybe I should go to Publix. He started going to Publix. By the time, like a month went by, we had more food than eat. both of us could eat because we're both going to Publix and this whole thing. And, here, and, and, and most importantly, he left my Cinnamon Toast Crunch alone. Um, and, uh, and, and here's the thing that I, that I tell you is that, and this is the thing that I realized, is that generosity is not something that comes naturally in all of us. When you're a kid, right, my daughter, my, you know, any child, right, one of the first words they learn is mine. It's mine. And this is my toy. This is what I want. And then another kid comes along and he picks up a toy and they decide, you know what, I don't want this toy. That toy's mine. And then they, they grab that. And what is that? That's coveting. It's coveting what somebody else has. Then they take that toy and you know what they find? It's not that big of a deal until the kid picks up another toy. And you know what he, want, he or she wants? She wants the toy that the other kid picked up then. And it's, a, it's just this, this perpetual thing that happens. And just like how generosity is not something that comes naturally to us, it's something that's learned through repetitive behavior, contentment is exactly the same. It doesn't come naturally to us. Coveting is what, com- what comes naturally to us. Jealousy and envy many times come naturally to us. But instead, contentment is something that you learn. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in these verses that we read. He says, not that I speak in regard to need in verse 11, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You see... Contentment is something that you learn. You learn to redirect desire. You learn to redirect desire, and eventually, you know what happens when you redirect desire? Your desires begin to change. It's like you start eating different foods, and after a while, your taste buds begin to change. The same thing happens with desire. So see, when the Bible says, you know, not to covet, don't covet a neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Well, why does a man covet somebody else's wife? You know, why, why, why does the guy sleep around? I mean, why, why does he do that? It's the same answer. He does it because he thinks he's going to be happier with someone else. And so the reason a guy sleeps around is because he sleeps with one girl and it just doesn't satisfy someone else, someone else, someone else, someone else. And then he just leaves this, this trail of, of, of lives and hearts that are just broken. And he says, you know, and, and, he, and all through all this, he's not satisfied. And so then what takes place, the same thing that happens is when, when a guy, when someone's in a relationship and they're, and they're not happy, they say, well, if I had that guy's wife, then I'd be happy. But here's what contentment says. Contentment says, don't covet somebody else's wife. God's given you a wife. Love her. Oh, no, 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 you see, but she's not like so-and-so's wife. I really want her because of that. And, and, and you listen, and here's what contentment would teach us, the reason that you want her. It's because she has her husband's love. And because she has her husband's love, she then becomes, she is transformed into everything that she can become. And that's the solution. So what's the solution? The solution becomes love your wife. Love your wife and watch her transform into everything that she can become because there is no limit to what a woman can become when she realizes that she's loved by God and loved by her husband. 
But here's what we lose sight of when we covet. We lose sight of this when we covet, that everything that we have comes from God and is a gift from Him. That's the thing that happens. There's this entitlement that we have that we think that we just want more and more and more. But here's the thing that we have to understand. We lose sight of it, and that's why we don't learn contentment. When we learn contentment is when we understand that everything I do have is a gift from Him. It says this in James chapter 1. He writes this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. You see, the other issue about coveting is that it comes from a place of deservedness. You see, I deserve her. I deserve that. I deserve that house. I deserve that career. I deserve that life. And here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we don't deserve anything. We haven't earned anything. The Bible teaches that anything that we have is an amazing gift of God's grace. And so if you've been blessed with a lot, which, by the way, that includes all of us here, because we live in the greatest country ever to grace the earth. We have more opportunity than, any, than most people on this planet will ever have. And so in the place that we live, with the opportunities that we have, with the blessings that we have, with all, all of us here have this amazing, we've been blessed with a lot, so here's what we do. You want to learn contentment? Here's what you do. You rejoice. Rejoice in how God has blessed you. Rejoice and recognize that all of it is a gift. And if you recognize that all of it is a gift and you rejoice over it, you know what it will cause you to do? To be generous with it because you realize that none of it is yours, that none of it is mine, that none of it is ours. It's all a gift from Him. Instead, we're simply stewards. We're simply managers of what God has entrusted to us, and He gives it to whomever He wishes. And what I have learned throughout my 17 years now plus of of walking with God is that God sends more resources to those who will be generous with it, who are content with what it is that they have. So that the resources that He gives can be a stream to bless others, to help others, to help others rejoice. Hebrews chapter 13 says it this way in your notes. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. The happiest people on this planet are those who hold what they have with an open hand. They're not clutching it. They're not gripping it. They're not grasping it. They're recognizing that it comes from God, and so I leave it with an open hand. And you know what the result of that is? Contentment. Joy. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. It's understanding that contentment is learned. The second thing we need to note is this, is to realize how contentment is revealed in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see, we have to realize that how contentment is revealed. Contentment is not revealed by what we say. Contentment is revealed by circumstances in our lives that that show us whether we are content or not. And it tends to be in extremes. I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little. Do you know where you see the difference between the have a lot and have a little? It's on an airplane. Can I ask you this question? Um, How many of you have flown first class before? Um, Oh, yeah, several of you. Uh, Now, uh, I've I've been able to fly first class a few times. I used to fly a lot. um, And so I would rack up all these frequent flyer miles. And then I would just, you know, use the points and upgrade them. And um, so it was, it was a great thing at the time. Um, but you know what the worst part of first class is? Um, it, it, it's not like the real pillow or the real blanket. Um, it's not the warm cookies that they give you. 
And that, that you can always ask for seconds, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. You can ask for seconds on the cookies. I've done that. Uh, can't ask for thirds, by the way. I found that out. Um, but you can't ask for seconds. Um, but here's the thing. is that you can... Um, it's not that. It, it, that's not the worst part. The worst part isn't when you're sitting there and all the people that are walking back to coach are just hating on you as they're walking by. Like, what about that guy? This is better than me. That whole thing. And you're like, what's up? Head to the back, buddy. And, uh, and so it's not that. You know, the, the worst part is knowing that the next time you fly, you're going to be in the back. That, to me, is like the worst part. It's like, you know, and so, like, at, 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 like because when you're in the back, you just say, man, if I was just in, in first class, I, things would be so much better. You know, I mean, I, you know, the, I wouldn't have to have this guy, like, you're sitting there, and, you know, like, for me, I'll sit there, I have my tray down, I have my computer there, and then some guy gets the great idea to take a nap, and so he lowers the seat and <laughs> hits you right in the chest as he's lowering, and it's like, that's just no fun. And, uh, and so I, I remember when I was in coach, I would think, if I could just be in first class, all of my problems would be solved. And then I remember, like, the last time I, 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 was, um, I was booked in coach, and, uh, but I was able to get some points and, and upgrade to, uh, to, to first class. And um, I was flying to Chicago because I was speaking at an event. And um, anyway, and I got the seat that I wanted. I mean, I, 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 the, when, I, when I sit in, uh, up in the front, um, I love sitting in the, uh, I love sitting in the, the window seat because you got plenty of room. And so then, like, the person is like, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. i got to stretch out my legs, whatever. Anyway, then people leave you alone. And for me, like, I love, I don't really like going on airplanes because whenever I go on an airplane, I'm convinced it's going to crash. Um, but so then you can imagine how I'm pleasantly surprised every time it lands. Uh, so I'm like, whoa, hey, that, all right, that's pretty good. You know, so, so you didn't know what I thought. Anyway, so the whole thing that happens for me is that... Um, I'll get there. And so for me, like, if I'm flying, like, from here to Chicago, it's about a two-and-a-half, three-hour flight. I've got, like, three hours of solid work time. So I see that as, like, an opportunity for me to get work done. And I've got no phone, no email, no Internet, no texting, nothing. It's just me, my computer. I'm getting some work done. And so I'm, uh, I'm there. And then as I'm, I get my computer open, I start doing some work. And then this kid sits next to me. It's on my way to Chicago. And the kid for two and a half hours straight, did not stop talking. And, uh, you know, and he must have been like 10 years old or nine or something like that. And, and he just starts talking to me. And he had like one of these like little handheld like game, game Boy type. I know Game Boy. I'm like, what am I? It's like 1990 or something. Uh, but anyway, so he had his Atari 2600 out. And uh, anyway, whatever like the new thing is, that's what he had. Uh, but I don't keep up too, bit, too close with that stuff because um, I think video games make you stupid. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, the parents cheered. The kids didn't really think that so much. Uh, so, here's, so anyway, here's what happens. Is, um, so he spends the next two hours talking to me about Super Mario, uh, like this new Super Mario game. And I'm like, dude, I'm old school with Mario. I mean, you could practically call me Luigi. I'm, I've been so close to Mario. You know what I mean? I've saved the princess. I've done the whole thing on, old, like, on the, Nintendo, old, the old Nintendo system. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know about Mario. And he's like, yeah, but see, I can go down here and get the mushroom. And I'm like are you serious? You know what I mean? And it's like, and he just goes on and on and on about how awesome he is at this game. You know, it's like, I'd like to see you run up and down the aisle without getting winded. Let's try that. You know, this doesn't impress me. Anyway, so, anyway, so, I, and then I start thinking to myself, this is maybe like, I don't know, an hour into the flight where he has not stopped talking. I'm thinking, how does he even breathe? Uh, because he has not stopped talking. And then, and so I, you know, eventually you just close your computer, put it away and like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. And uh, so we start talking. And so he um, he starts. And then uh, from across the aisle, this woman leans over 
and says, you know, honey, and apparently this is his mom. By the way, the fact that his own mother wouldn't sit next to him, that should have tipped me off. And uh, so he leans over, she leans over, she says, I'm sorry, he talks a lot. And I lean over and I said, I'm sorry too. You know, I, mean, I don't know what else to say. And, uh, and you know what I'm thinking the whole way to Chicago? I should be so happy because I have more, right? Because I should be content that I'm first class. And here's all I'm thinking, I wish I was in coach. And I, like, how is that? And, and the point is this, is that contentment is, is not revealed by what we say. Contentment is revealed by the situations that we're put in that reveal whether we are content or, with the, or the lack thereof. You know what the right attitude is? Is that I'm sitting in, in first class and this kid doesn't stop talking. And I, and I could say to myself, it could be worse. I could be in coach in the middle seat between two sumo wrestlers. It could be worse. You know, and, uh, and, and by the way, the, I thought of that kid, and I was, I was really, I, you know, I was in coach last time I flew, and I was so grateful uh, for, for being there. Uh, and I thought of that kid, and I was so grateful for the situation I was in, because there, there was this Portuguese couple next to me. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'm getting my stuff together, and they're talking, and I said, no English? And they said, no, no English. And I said, no Spanish? They said, no Spanish. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, no talking. Um, and and uh, so it was amazing. It was this awesome thing. And... Uh, but here's the thing. This is, this is what Proverbs says. Proverbs 15, 15. It's in your notes. It says, The poor have a hard life, but being content is as good as an endless feast. What is he saying? That, listen, uh, being poor and discontent, that's tough. But listen, if you, you may not even have a lot, but if you are content, that's as good as having a lot. That's as good as an endless feast. He's saying that contentment doesn't come by external means. It comes that external means only reveal whether we have contentment. Uh, that whether we are con- content or not. It's like if I were holding a cup up here and I were to tell you what was in the cup, but if someone were to bump into me and then something, the cup were to spill, it's only then that you see the contents of the cup revealed. And that's what circumstances do. It's when someone bumps up against us. It's when a problem, a difficulty, something comes up against us. It's when we're blessed with a lot that bumps up against us. That's when we see whether it, or not if we're content or not. You see, that's why God tells us not to covet, because it never stops. We keep trying to get to the next thing, and it never, hoping that the next thing will satisfy, and it never does. That's the thing that happens in relationships. You're in a relationship, and it's not working out, and you covet what somebody else has. And so, and, and here, here's the key, and this is the thing that's so important. We say, you say, I desire what that other person has. Desire is good, as long as it's channeled through gratefulness and contentment. You say, I'm grateful that that other person is happy. I want to be happy as well. So how do I do that? And you're, you're in a marriage. You say, it's not working. So you say, I could self-destruct this relationship and find someone else. You see, now that's desire going through covetousness, and now, which, is now, which is now very destructive and starts destroying your life and the lives of other people. But then what takes place, this is the thing that's so important. When you're content, you say, listen, I'm, I'm thrilled that they're happy. I want to be happy as well. What if they learned and how to be happy. How have they learned to make their marriage work that makes, them, that makes them happy? How can I learn that myself? And my friends, that's the thing that, that, that happens. That's the difference between contentment and covetousness. You see, covetousness is just an illusion. We just keep thinking that the next thing is what's going to make us happy. And so we try to get the next thing, and then it doesn't make us happy. And so it's not this thing, it's the next thing. And it keeps, keeps us working on this. And, when, and all along, 
God is seeking to work and build contentment in us so that we can experience joy no matter what the situation. And that's why at the end of this little paragraph, Paul says, as this, as this you know, thematic statement in verse 13 of Philippians, uh, where he says, you know, everywhere and in all things, I know how to be full, how to abound, how to be hungry, how to, how to, how to abound, how to suffer need. And verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's why number three is this. And that is, it's realized, or number two is realize uh, how commitment or how contentment is revealed. But number three is discover where contentment is found. Discover where contentment is found. Many people are frustrated with life because the thing that they said that was supposed to satisfy them and bring them fulfillment and happiness didn't come through. It didn't satisfy. And here's the thing that's important for us to note is that if nothing in this world can bring you satisfaction and fulfillment, maybe it's because you were created for another world. Maybe that we're not just physical creatures, we're spiritual beings that have physical bodies, and that's why the physical stuff that we desire can never fully satisfy. And that's because, listen, the stuff that we desire, can I tell you this? The stuff that we covet, it isn't even really the stuff. It's the significance behind the stuff that we really desire. You see, people don't really covet the car. I mean, it seems like they covet the car, but people don't really covet the car. What we covet is what the car represents, that it represents freedom and youth and power and control. That we don't really actually covet the house. It looks like we covet the house, but we really covet something much deeper and something uh, more important, more, more uh, that, that comes to the base of our significance and meaning. See, we don't covet the house. We covet what the house represents, that it, it represents security and success and accomplishment and stature and prestige. We don't even really covet the gadgets and the stuff that we think is really cool and new and exciting and all of that. We, we want, we covet what the gadget represents. Being relevant, being important, and being wanted. You see, we desire the things, but what we don't realize, and this is the thing that's so important about coveting, is that what we really desire, what we really desire, is not the thing that we're coveting. It's the spiritual substance behind the things. That's why the things don't satisfy. When you get them, you see, because they were never meant to satisfy. They were only meant to stir up a desire for another place because we were created for another place. And that other place is found in a person. And the person of Jesus Christ, because that's where fulfillment is found. In fact, the last no- verse in your notes is in First um, Timothy chapter 6. Let me read it to you. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the bottom line for this message, for the last ten that we've gone through in the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments, these ten words, were written to a group of people who were slaves in Egypt, who God rescued with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Bible says, and he took them out of Egypt and he's taking them to a land of promise to create a new nation, a new group of people that, 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 that would be a light to the entire world. But what he does is he stops along the way at Mount Sinai where he gives them these Ten Commandments because he's trying to teach a group of people who were slaves. He's trying to teach them how to be free. 
And he gets to the very end. And he says, don't covet. Don't have this overwhelming, controlling desire for what someone else has. Because what you will find is that it will enslave you. And the very thing that I'm trying to teach you, God would say to them, as He would say to you and He would say to me, is that what I'm trying to teach you is how to be free. How to be free from the power of stuff because the stuff isn't what satisfies. What satisfies is the spiritual reality behind that that only comes from one person. It's our Savior Jesus who satisfies. And all the other stuff is just a substitute for Him. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank You for the fact that You do satisfy us, that You are our God. And Lord, I just pray that You would begin to work and build contentment in us. And so we thank You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who is all that we need, who Your Word says has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So Lord, help us to walk in that. Help us to take these ten words and be free the way You want us to be free. In Jesus' name, amen.